for your kindness in our lives. Lord, we confess, Lord, that we're not deserving of it. But because of your great love, you lavish so much upon us. Lord, cause us not to take for granted the blessings in our lives. In the littlest of things, to the big things. Lord, help us to see them. Help us to give you thanks and praise. And thank you that you are the God who never changes. That we can trust your faithfulness. Lord, help us to rest. Rest in your kindness and your provision in our lives. We pray your blessing upon our time. Lord, that you would stir our hearts with a greater affection for you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Faith, can I put you on the spot? Two weeks ago, you shared some verses with me. You're looking at me like, could you share those again? I'm sorry, I didn't give you any heads up. So if you say, next week? Okay, all right. So you're on for next week. Everyone else, remind me to ask Faith. I'll put it in my notes right now. Well, we have been uh, desiring just as a, as a church that the Lord would give us a, a better understanding of what His Word teaches and uh, have been using uh, the, our confession uh, to, to help us cover the multiple topics. And uh, tonight we are uh, in chapter 5 of the confession. And in chapter 5, uh, it's entitled, Of Divine Providence. If you're like me, you've been challenged by how does God's providence, and before his providence we saw his decree, how does that work in our lives? And as Colossians 1.17 says, and he is above all things, and in him, what's that next word? Can you read it on the screen? All things consist, or all things, as some translations say, hold together. Notice scripture doesn't say just some of those things, but that all things in Christ are are held together in his sovereign care, in his divine decree, and in in his providence. He is working in everything and is holding all things together. And last week we saw, actually over the last couple weeks, how God's decree and his providence work out. Thomas Watson said it like this, God's decree ordains things that shall fall out, God's providence orders them. The decree is the statement of what will happen. Providence is how it happens. And last week, I forgot the PowerPoint, but this was to give us, sometimes we're more visual in how we see things. We see God's decree, a statement, a fact. And when did God make his decree? Of all things, in eternity past, yeah. He decreed all things, but he decreed them. They didn't happen in eternity past. They happen in a time and place, and that happens through his providence. So his decree is executed through his providence, and his providence orders second causes. The second causes are those things which happen through our nature. We saw that example of John Smith 
God decreed that he would die on a certain date through a car accident. That car accident happened in God's providence. It happened by his providence, but the, the, the causes of that were the secondary causes. That there was a storm that had killed the tree. The tree had died over time, the rot, and another storm had knocked it down, falling in his way and killing him. In all of those secondary causes, God's providence ordered those. But it's not just an A and B, it's through all that process, through the determinate counsel of God. The second causes are the means by which God works. Paragraph 5 in our confession says this up behind me, you can read it. The most wise, righteous, and gracious God does oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and to the corruptions of their own hearts, to chastise them for their former sins, or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts, that they may be humbled and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself, and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for other just and holy ends, so that whatsoever befalls any of his elect is by his appointment for his glory and for their good. First of all, I want us to see, and kids, if you want to follow along in your notes, that number one is God's providence in a believer's life. God's providence in a believer's life. We see this paragraph pointing out that if God is working all things, how does his providence play out specifically in a believer's life? All of God's providence has an end to which he is working. There is nothing that just happens that is random, that is not moving towards a specific end. From the littlest of things to the biggest of things, nothing is happening outside of God's providence. And he is working something in all of our lives. Specifically, we see here in a believer's life that sometimes God leaves us for a season and is to the temptations of our own flesh. He leaves us to our own sin, understanding the, the corruption of our own heart. Nehemiah, excuse me, Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. We understand that our flesh and our heart deceives us, that, that we can think we know our hearts, but our, our heart deceives us. And our flesh leads us into sin. That we are not free from sin as believers. The, the Wesley brothers had a theology and that speaks of perfectionism. That, that here on this earth we can meet this level of perfection. But no, we can't. For we all battle. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 7 verse 15. Paul says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. And then he says why that is, Romans seven twenty three. I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is my members. The confession speaks about how God at times, gives us over to our former sins. 
the sins of our past. We, we see in this a, that reminder that habits and <clears throat> sinful habits especially are hard to break. They're that, those things which God continues to use in our life. And, and maybe a, an application from this is to not start them in the first place. A habit is hard to break. So not start the habit by his grace in the uh, ever. But each one of us might be able to think of how God at times uses sins of our past to work in our life today. That come from our own temptations, our own corruptions of our hearts. But he leaves us to our sin and notice he, he does it for our good. It's for a time. And I think that's a a key point here. That this is not a habitual sin that we live in forever and ever. But for a time, God allows our sinful flesh, those temptations and corruptions, to chastise us. But he does it for our good. 1 Corinthians 11.32, it says, But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. Why are we chastened? He says, that we may not be condemned with the world. God's plan in our life is that we would not be condemned with the world, but that we would be corrected. As a parent, I discipline my children, not because I hate them, but because I love them. For I know the path that they're headed on. And the correction is to redirect them and to say, no, you're, you're headed down this path of, that there is no fulfillment of life. To follow this path. But more, more so, even more, that God the Father in Hebrews twelve six says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And scourges every son whom he receives. This is foreign to our world. The world says, if we love our children, we just we want what's best for them, so we give them whatever they want. But we understand our heart and our flesh is to go our own way, to live in sin against God. But God corrects us. And he does these things, as the, the confession points out, to see our sin, number one, to see the corruption of our own hearts, to humble us. To increase our dependence upon him. And to be more watchful for sin in our lives. Think about a sin that maybe you battle more than others. And how that can often keep us humble before the Lord. Not thinking that we've arrived and have life figured out. Often we think of Paul's thorn in the flesh being a physical thorn. But we don't know if it was physical or a mental, an emotional, a sin that he battled. But he prayed that God would remove it. But what was his answer? What did the Lord say? My grace is sufficient. Because we need to understand that we never meet perfection. And God corrects us. He, Through his providence, he even gives us over to our own sin so that we would learn to be more dependent upon him. That we would be humbled. That we would see our sin and be more watchful because we understand the own depravity of our own hearts. Hebrews 12, in the context of those whom the Lord loved, he chastens in verses 10 to 11. He says, for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, 
for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Amen? It's not, not like, hey, yeah, I want chastening. I, I, I want discipline. But afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Even in our sin, in God giving us over to our sin to correct us and to increase our needfulness of him, it is for our good. But most importantly, it is for his glory. To remind us that he is the one that saves us, that we cannot save ourselves. In that context of the Apostle Paul speaking of his own sin and he's doing what he doesn't want to do. He says in verses 24 and 25 of Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he answers, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. He recognizes that his own sin that he's battling keeps him humble before God. So that he's reminded that he doesn't save himself, but it's through the work of Christ. It's first John chapter two, verse one. John writes, My little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. He's not writing and thinking, Oh yeah, they're they're gonna hit perfection. Look at what he says. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Are you thankful for the advocate that Christ intercedes on our behalf? But it's a, a season for a follower of Christ will never live in habitual sin forever. It's hard. We don't necessarily know. Is it going to be a year? Is it going to be a minute? Is it going to be two weeks? What is it going to be? But we shouldn't see habitual sin over and over in our life. God in his kindness works. As 1 Corinthians 10.13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. You know, our deceiver, the greatest thing he wants us to think is that no one has ever been faced with this. Hebrews says we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. But notice, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Notice that God doesn't remove us from it. But the answer to his prayer is that we will be able to bear it. The difficulty, the temptation. Is that the kind of faithfulness you praise God for? For his faithful correction in your life? Paragraph, paragraph 5 focuses on God's providence in a non-believer's life. Excuse me, a believer's life. Paragraph 6 then shows the providence in a non-believer's life. So look at the screen. As for those wicked and ungodly men whom God as the righteous judge for former sin does blind and harden, from them he not only withholds his grace, where they, whereby they might be might have been enlightened into the in their understanding and wrought upon their hearts, but sometimes also withdraws gifts with which they had and exposes them to such objects as their corruption makes occasion of sin. 
and withal gives them over to their own lust, the temptations of the world and the power of Satan, whereby it comes to pass that they harden themselves under those means which God uses for the softening of others. That last line is so important there. In God's work, he uses the same thing to harden as he does to soften. It's the receptivity that God has given us in the ability to receive his correction. Just like when Paul says, do not harden your hearts as in the day of Mirabah. Don't, don't be hardening to our, the chastening of God. Just like when we discipline our children, it's saying, don't harden your heart to my discipline. But hear, hear my love for you and wanting you to go this direction. Don't fight me, but turn. And God gives us a heart to be softened. But here in paragraph 6, we see that God allows the heart to be heartened because he leaves them to their sin. And their own sin binds, blinds them and hardens them because he withholds his saving grace. And at times, he even withholds common grace, those gifts spoken of there. God's common grace is that, that which he blesses all of mankind. The good weather, the, his, the providence of people to make an income or whatever it may be. But think about what happens in Romans chapter 1. God gives them over and they harden and move deeper into the sin. And, and that, that's not just something that will happen in the future, but it's happened and it's a pattern of all of our lives. That God gives over to their own sinful flesh and desires, to the lust, temptations, and to the power of Satan, paragraph 6 says. R.C. Sproul says about this, It is not that God puts his hand on them, meaning the reprobate, to create fresh evil in their hearts. He merely removes his holy hand of restraint from them and lets them do their own will. That's that secondary cause. God never breaks our will, never causes us to go against our will. He just removes his hand and we do our will. In our sinful flesh, our will is to do sin. And that's why we we understand that, that repentance precedes faith, that God changes our hearts and gives us the ability to repent. Because then... It is God changing our heart, changing our will, and therefore we respond to the message of repentance. It is not in our ability to be able to repent without God giving us that ability. And in the end, it is not God hardening them. It is them hardening themselves because of their own desires. Interestingly, the... This, par- this uh, chapter ends with the last paragraph, paragraph 7. As the providence of God does in general reach to all creatures, so after a more special manner, it takes care of his church and disposes of all things to the good thereof. God has a special care for his church. Jesus says in Matthew 16, I will build my church there's a a special affinity and a special work that is taking place in the the life of the church 
Isaiah 43, the the prophet writes, speaking from God, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place, since you were precious in my sight. You have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you, and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. Now, we might say we need to be careful And I stopped and I realized that. To not just grab a promise that was given to the nation Israel. Because look at the end of this. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. We understand that's the picture of the body of Christ coming from all throughout the world. For God is the one working. He is the one who says, I gave this. I will give because I am with you and I will bring descendants. God has a special care for his church. Here's a bit of a a long quote, but I just thought it would be a good way to finish this chapter. Thomas Watson says, See here, that which you may make us long for the time when the great mystery of God's providence shall be fully unfolded to us. Now we scarce know what to make of God's providence and are ready to censor what we do not understand. Meaning to kind of put away those things because it doesn't make sense to us. But in heaven we shall see how all his providences, sickness, losses, suffering, contributed to our salvation. Here we see but some dark pieces of God's providence. And it is impossible to judge of his works by pieces. But when we come to heaven and see the full body and portrait of his providence drawn out into its lively colors, it will be glorious to behold. Then we shall see how all God's providences help to fulfill his promises. There is no providence, but, what, but we shall see a wonder or mercy in it. There is a wonder or a mercy in all of God's providence. That means the hard providence and the good providence. And as we've looked at this chapter, we're reminded that nothing happens outside the sovereign control of God. Nothing. It's a great comfort to us, but it's also a great mystery. Like Thomas Watson is saying, we, we see dimly. We see the backside of, the, of the, the tapestry God is weaving and see some bits and pieces God is working a wonderful masterpiece that is full of wonder and mercy. Sometimes we have to preach that truth to ourselves when it's the hard providences that we're going through. But to recognize that God does it in a way of care and love, to grow us. And sometimes those growing things, it's like, Lord, not right now. Like Paul says, three times I prayed that the Lord would take it from me. And he reminded my grace is sufficient. It's not our own strength. But that God would give us the faith to trust his providence in our life. But I ask just kind of in closing and application, how is God working in your life? And how can you praise him for his providence? Even tonight as we're spending time in prayer, how can you praise and thank God for his providence? Maybe today, maybe this past week, maybe a while back. 
But what can you praise and thank God for? That he would be glorified because of what he did in your life. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for, your, for how you're teaching us. Lord, we confess, as your word says, the, the secret things belong to you. And we often are not seeing the total plan that you are working. But Lord, we, we speak your truth into our lives that, that we would think upon the things that are true. That nothing happens outside your sovereign hand. And Lord, sometimes you correct and discipline us. Lord, may we receive that correction and that it would create greater dependence upon you and Christ's work for our salvation. Lord, we thank you for your providence in in giving us good gifts and blessing us with so much more than we deserve. Lord, help us to be thankful. In all things, give thanks. Whereas your word says, for it is your will. That Lord, we confess at times our faith is weak. Lord, help our unbelief. That we might trust your kind providence, your good providence. For your glory, may all these things be taking place. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.